welcome to episode 37 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I am, as always, completely delighted that you are spending time with, with me, with us, today on The Playground. I wanted to say thank you and invite you to follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001. And I thought that what I wanted to do was kind of use this opportunity on the playground to actually say hello to an organization that is near and dear to my heart and to thank them for introducing us to our beloved big black squishy Frank. And that is Rocky Road Rescue here in Ottawa. And they are at Rocky Road Rescue on Instagram. And I thought I would just kind of give a little shout out to their new little adoptable girl. Her name is Pi. She came into care with Pumpkin on October 7th. And I'm pretty sure you're seeing a theme. Pi is also a five-month-old golden retrieveree mix who is settling well into care and will also be available for adoption. So I'm not sure if Pi has been adopted yet, but she is, just as the name would indicate, delicious. And you know, it's completely wonderful that we're talking about Pi and pumpkin because my mystery guest today, well, she's very special. And she is going to share her story about people, culture, and food. Please join me in welcoming the fabulous Anupama Patadar. Welcome, Anupama Patadar, or as I call you, Anu. I'm so delighted to have you on the playground with, with me, with us today. And as the listener knows... I typically just kind of give context to say how I know my fabulous guest. And I know you, I've known you now for about a month, basically this is mm -hmm. the 27th of September. And you are a recruitment specialist at World Skills, which is where we met. And we work very closely together. And it's such an honor because you're, you really are fabulous. You're a director with Nutrition Blocks and you are a co-host with Apki Farmayesh, a radio program on CKCU, which is the Carleton University radio station. Have I gotten everything there? Wow. Thank you so much, Tanya, for having me on the playground here. And let me tell you, I have heard some of your podcasts, uh, the earlier ones, and what an inspiration you are for everyone to bring such wonderful stories. So thank you for having me here today. Oh, it's completely my pleasure, and I'm absolutely delighted. And as uh, the listener knows, we always go back as a career development practitioner. I love talking about careers and talking mm -hmm. about pivoting. And so, please, where did you grow up, and and what was high school like for you? I grew up in several different places. So, uh, like you. You were saying, you know, how did you pivot? And we were talking about that. Maybe that seed was sown right from my childhood because my dad, he had a job which, because of which he got transfers every three or four years. So I grew back in India 
but in several different places in different states, provinces is what we call here in Canada, but they call states in uh, India. So different languages, different people. So I guess, um, uh, you know, just grew up not being very privileged, but also not being underprivileged or not struggling to meet, get uh, ends meet. So it was um, a modest family that I grew up in. Um, what was more important, I think, is the values that I grew up with. So I did my childhood in different uh, different cities, small, some, some were small, some were larger. Ended up in, when I went to college, I ended up in Mumbai, which is the big metropolis. So got a taste of how it is to stay in a big city. Then I, from there, I went to do my graduation in a very different sector, which was not very common at that time. In India, after grade 12, we decide on what do we want to study further, whether it's uh, you want to become a doctor, engineer, um, you know, go into any technical field. What was something very different at that time was a was a hotel management diploma. It was not heard of a lot, but there was something was, that really interested me. I don't know why, if I want to think back right now, why I went into a hotel management diploma, I wouldn't be able to think of an answer. It was just calling me, I guess. Hmm. So I, um, I did my diploma in hotel management and... Uh, I spent uh, some wonderful years over there, made really good friends, uh, worked in a couple of hotels. And that's when I realized, hmm, mm-hmm. not for me, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a, being in a hotel, especially, you know, even if it was um, a, a very open culture, uh, women in India have a lot of privileges. They can choose whatever field they want to. There was no restrictions on my choice of what I wanted to do. But in a, in a way, uh, doing that hard physical labor, you know, do, being on your feet for a long mm-hmm. time, I realized that wasn't something that I liked too much. Uh, what I did like at that time was to be around people to understand people, to understand the dynamics of how everything worked in a particular organization or an office. So uh, that kept me thinking. And after which I did my master's in personal management. So a part of HR, I enrolled for that. That was very interesting. I was really intrigued with all the different subjects that I studied there, you know, organizational behavior, management topics, and it was very, very interesting. I enjoyed those two years of studies. But at the same time, what I also did was I learned literature. I'm also um, a graduate in uh, Marathi literature. Marathi is my mother tongue back in India, and I'm a, a literature graduate. So I kind of uh, like to be in dreams, if you want to say. I like to create stories, spin stories around, you know, how people behave, how they live, how they interact with each other. So literature was also mm-hmm. something that I really, really enjoyed because it took me to the past and yeah. it connected the past to the present for me, to get to know the history of uh, how we came to being here. But in a literary sense, you know, it just tells you, literature in a way tells you everything, not just, uh, it's not just about the language, but it tells you about the history of your culture. And that is something I really enjoyed too. After I finished my graduations, I did some teaching. Yeah, so I was a teacher. I did some culinary training, uh, teaching, sorry. 
Yeah, not not cooking, not cooking though. Okay. <laughs> um, but I taught housekeeping. I took some subjects in housekeeping in in a college, and after that, I taught some management courses in a management college. You know, master's degree, uh, master's level courses. So that was something I wasn't ready for, I guess, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, my experience level. I was just a fresh graduate, and then um, got selected as a lecturer in a college, and that is, I think, where my journey of experiences started. And I, that is where I started understanding what it means to work, right? What it means to create your place in a particular organization or where you work. How do you get respect from people? How do you get to, um, you know, make your place where they recognize what you do? That was mm-hmm. my small learnings that I started from there. I taught there for a couple of years before I got married. And from there, I moved to the U.S. Ah, <laughs> because, okay. Yes, because my husband was studying in the U.S. And we moved to U.S. Now, again, when I went there, I I wasn't working. I was in on a dependence visa. And those mm. were, you know, those early years of, you know, getting married and having all those dreamy, rosy pictures saying, oh, I don't need to work. I'm <laughs> happy the way I am. I just yeah. want to become a housewife. You know, sometimes you have those dreams <laughs> mm-hmm. and you think those are the best dreams. And uh, yeah, life is good over there, although it wasn't uh, the best of the situations. You know, we we learned to live independently. Where was where were you living at the time? Um, in Boston. My husband studied in uh, University of Massachusetts, Amherst. So we stayed in the small town of Amherst, uh, the university town, for uh, four years almost. And okay. after that, when he um, started working, we moved to Boston. And that's where I spent most of my time when I was in the U.S. So again, I uh, wasn't working over there, but I learned a lot in terms of uh, staying independently. While you were back in India, it was always a very protected life. Uh, you had your family, your parents, your your friends. You had a lot of support system. Yeah. But when you come to a new country where you have no idea what's happening around you, no one knows you, uh, you don't know how to live there, how to manage your expenses, how to manage, uh, you know, your life, your work work and life balance. It does a lot of teaching. Life teaches you a lot over there. But, you know, we took take one challenge at a time and you keep going ahead. And I learned a lot towards after we came, came to Boston, although I wasn't working there, but what we did was we hosted people from different countries who came to U.S., to learn English as a professional language. And, and it was it was wonderful because these people were from all different parts of the world, you know, Korea, Brazil, Mexico, France, you name it. We had people from all over the world come and stay in our house. It was like a homestay that we gave them. And we made such wonderful friends and connections. And I think just meeting more people, getting to know different cultures, that experience just kept building within me. How long did people stay with you? What was the typical timing? 
the minimum was like two weeks to up to three months. Yeah. So there's some people who stayed with us for about three months and they're still like a family for us. We're still mm-hmm. in touch with them and we've, we've made very close uh, connections and very close friendships with them. So yeah, it, it, that was a wonderful experience. Well, after that, things didn't go really well. You know, all the different visa processes and, oh. you know, it just didn't agree with us. So we finally decided to go back to India. That was our home, and that was the best thing we could do at that time. Our son was very young, and we needed that support system, so we went back to India. After going back to India, the natural thing that I wanted to do was teach, because that's what I did when I left India. Mm-hmm. Um, but things have things had changed a lot in the past 10, 12 years that I wasn't in India. Things had changed a lot. And going back to the college and teaching those subjects, I wasn't very comfortable with um, because I needed to upgrade myself, upscale myself. And that knowledge was kind of not up to date. So mm-hmm. I still did teaching, but then I changed my uh, my audience and I started teaching kindergarten. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And wasn't that so wonderful? It was so nice because one of one of my very what do you say my asset because uh, was because I stayed in the U.S. for twelve years. My English had improved much better, and that was one of the assets. How I got into a school right away. They offered me a job as a kindergarten teacher. I did a small course for it. They offered me a job right away, and I I started working there as a kindergarten teacher, and I worked there for five years. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that was an that was an amazing experience too. I mean, uh, it it was very different for me. The the change between teaching children in the master's level and then coming down and teaching children in a kindergarten. But uh, it was an amazing experience over there. Uh, about five years when we decided to immigrate to Canada. Why? Uh, several reasons. When we went back to India. We were kind of in between, you know, not finding our right place there. Mm-hmm. We were trying to, especially um, when my husband was trying to find a job, it was somewhere in between. He wasn't quite satisfied by, with the results he was getting. He wasn't very happy with the job situation there. And neither was I, because we wanted to do more. We wanted to bring a lot of change, mm-hmm. the experiences that we had brought the experiences that we had for several years. And when we went back, it was, it was not matching. If that's, you know, we, we perceived it as, and the natural transition was to look for somewhere to immigrate so that we can provide a better opportunity for our son, but Mm -hmm. also for ourselves. We just felt very restricted and tied down in terms of our careers over there. And even after trying for several couple of years, it it wasn't going anywhere. So uh, we thought, let's explore the opportunity and see where we can find uh, our place. And then we studied, we we did some research regarding, should we go to US? Should we uh, go back to, you know, where the US wasn't calling us at that time. It was just not happening. Then we looked at UK, we looked at New Zealand, and then we looked at Canada. And Canada was just something, you know, something over there was just calling us. Mm. Right. We thought it's close to US. That's mm-hmm. an advantage. Culturally, geographically, climate-wise, it's quite similar in a lot of terms as US. And 
I think our transition would be much smoother over there as compared to other countries. So we decided to move here. And one fine day, we landed in Canada, just the three of us, mm-hmm. with five bags and an empty space to live. <laughs> an apartment that we had rented. That was almost exactly six years ago now. Wow. Why Ottawa? That is um, this is a very great question because we did a lot of research on different uh, cities and realized that Toronto is a lot like Mumbai. Not so inclined to go to a big city right now. BC and Vancouver, yes, but not really because we did not like the the kind of climate. It rains a lot is what we heard. And when we were looking for the job situation or what kind of careers we can have there, it wasn't really fitting. Like we couldn't find something that was relatable. Mm-hmm. But because my husband had worked in the nonprofit or, you know, the school school system for about 12 14 years, he was very inclined to work in a nonprofit sector. And Ottawa, Mm -hmm. as you know, is the hub of nonprofits. Every second or third building houses a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was a natural choice saying, this is where I can find my place. And it's the national capital. And it it's a very, we read about the city and, you know, we tried to see what kind of a city it would be to raise a family. And it ranked about uh, amongst the top few cities mm-hmm. to in the world actually to live and raise your family. So that's where our choice came. <laughs> we decided to come to Ottawa. I'm right? glad you did. <laughs> and I'm glad I did too. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not... And, and so this is six years ago that you came here. That's correct. Okay. That is six years ago. So 2017. Mm-hmm. 2017. November, six years ago. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> How was your first, do you remember your first winter? Oh, yes, I do. Very, very clearly, I remember my first winter because I was very confident. I have lived in Boston for 12 years. Nothing can beat that. Mm-hmm. And, and I was so wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, we had our winter gear all from US, just we brought everything over here and we said, oh, we are ready for the winter. Uh, we were not. Mm-hmm. The cold is different. It doesn't snow as much as it snows in Boston, but it's really, really cold here. And uh, during the first few months, when um, we had to drop our son to school, it was a challenge to take him every morning, walk about a kilometer, uh, over a kilometer to his school, come back and then go back to pick him up. And so it was like, it was a challenge. (laughs) Um, But you must have been in great shape though with all that walking. I guess so. (laughs) But we used to take, but we took turns. If I I went to drop him in the morning, my husband had to go pick him up. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess it wouldn't be that fair. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you you've done the the morning. Uh, you'll do the afternoon too. And that's yeah, right. No, 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 that's no. right. I, that's I, nice. I, that's that's a part of adjusting to this climate, to this, um, you know, this community here. It's just a part of the adjustment that you have to do, the, the part of integrating uh, that happens as a newcomer. Okay. And my question to you then, if you were speaking to other people that were coming from warm climates, right? How what would you say to them about Ottawa winters? I would say enjoy it. Oh, for goodness sake. It's, <laughs> It's 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 very nice 
you know, I mean, although I come from a, a, a very hot country, but I do enjoy the winters over here. Some days you really don't want to go out and that's fine. But uh, most of the days, even when it's snowing, I love to go for a walk in the snow. It's so beautiful out there. And I believe in uh, enjoying the beauty of every season, no matter what it is. You don't find this beauty in your country and you're so now you have that opportunity to explore the nature's beauty in all its different shapes and you know forms you chose to come here so just enjoy it <laughs> see now this is why i love working with you like what a <laughs> what a positive person you are and the way that you always see the positive in in every um in every situation and i i really love that and i appreciate that and I, I hope Thank that you. I can, Thank you. you know, get that more from you too. So you've been pivoting in your life, but there's been more pivoting, right? Yes, there has been. So after we came here, if you had asked me six years ago, when I landed here, Anu, what did you want to do? That I don't know. Mm. I, I really don't know. This had no path in front of me. The natural choice for me was to become a teacher. And I had did some research, but here, I realized I have to start from scratch. I have to go back to school, get a teacher's, uh, you know, license, get certified, and then start uh, at the basic, like the entry level of being a teacher. And I wasn't ready for it. I did not want to give my experience. I did not want to give up what I had learned over the years and say, okay, I am ready to start from scratch again. That's not what I was ready for. So I I took up a survival job. I kept supporting my family. But, you know, like I have always said, there is a calling. And when that mm -hmm. calling comes, you find your place. So I met this wonderful person who I actually met at a, a community resource center. I, I just really want to say this, um, you know, when I landed over here as a newcomer and immigrant, I really had no resources. I mm -hmm. had no idea where I was going to go to find a job. I had no idea where I can find something that relates to, you know, my culture, my tradition, where I can find some Indian food. I had no idea about that. Although there were so many Indians in Ottawa at that time too, but I had no connections. I had no no way, no resources. So mm. I actually landed up in a community resource center, which is right up my um, street. And, you know, I, I don't even remember how I landed up there. I was doing some research and I found that there's a resource center and you it will amuse you why I went there. I went there to print my resume. Mm -hmm. because I was still under that impression that I have to print a resume and carry it to different places and then make those applications. So it started from there. That was how much I informed I was when I came to Canada. You know, even after so much of research and knowing about this place, living in the U.S. for so many years, level of gathering information and resources was at was like that. But what happened to me over there was I met this wonderful person who was running a, a cooking class there mm -hmm. for men and women in that neighborhood for people who who were food insecure, who were challenged, uh, you know, in different aspects. And right. uh, I met him and what he did was just cook food with them. 
And then they just enjoyed that session. They cooked meals together and then ate food together. And then whatever was left over, they just took home for themselves. Mm. And I just loved that. And that was the connection I started to find. Mm, That was where I started to find that connection. And like we had been talking earlier, Tanya, food is something that connects people across borders. So it has no language. That's right. Correct. So it was, It I, I just got, I just got a, attracted to that. And I went there a couple of times um, to help him with that project, with that program. And then he had an idea that he wanted to start a cafe there to serve fresh meals, fresh food to those people who would otherwise be struggling with food. Mm. And the intention was not just serving food, but the intention was serving food with dignity. Right. So having a proper setup as a cafe, using Chinaware to serve them food, actually having someone go to their table, take their order and bring them meals like, you know, fresh smoothies, cappuccinos, panini sandwiches, mm-hmm. which were a luxury for those people in the yeah. in the resource, in that community. And that's where my journey with Food for Thought started. Who was the person? Sorry, who was that his person? His name is his name is Silva de Marjorie. So <laughs> he has been such a great inspiration for me. And he actually um, did a handholding for me. And we run that cafe for, for a year. Every Friday, we used to open the cafe up for five hours. And starting with 15 people on day one, mm-hmm. um, a year later, when we had to close down the cafe because of COVID, we used to serve around 80 to 90 covers in that five hours. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. And where? so where was this bricks and mortar kind of location? <laughs> this was at the Caldwell Family Center on Maryvale Street. Well, and, and then COVID happened. So there's another pivot now. Because mm. now we cannot run the cafe, but we still want to help people with food. Um, and we realized that suddenly all our our patrons who came there and our helpers who were from um, a, a very a neighboring um, motel where they were housed, you know, that's a that's a intermediary housing facility that was provided. They suddenly were plunged into food insecurity. No food. Everything was closed down. They had no groceries, even if they had groceries, no means to cook them. So we started cooking meals and providing the meals to their door during COVID. And it slowly grew. I started first volunteering there because I was still doing my survival job, still working there uh, all five days of the week and then helping volunteering with Food for Thought to provide meals, um, making meals, delivering meals. The word spread um, we had a donation page, so donations started pouring in. But it slowly grew from there. That was day one. And until last October, about a year ago, when I moved away from Food for Thought, we have grown it into one of the biggest food charities in Ottawa, from a small nonprofit to a charity where we were serving about twelve to 1,300 meals prepared from scratch to about 25 to 27 different organizations and locations across Ottawa. And I was the operations director over there. So, oh, my gosh. But, so how many people would be working on... on um, 
you know, making this or preparing the meals. And you would do it at the at the Caldwell Family Center as well? No, we have, we, uh, no, we, we weren't preparing there because the Caldwell Family Center, they closed down the kitchen. So there was, we oh. couldn't cook the meals over there. So we started from a, a restaurant kitchen. One of our friends and a very um, close associate with Savan is uh, Chef Joe Totungu, who owns the Thali and the Coconut Lagoon restaurant. He's a great friend and he then became an executive chef for us he opened the doors for his restaurant saying my restaurant is closed nothing is happening here he invited his friends who were chefs to come and cook for us they volunteered that time cooking for us we had a volunteer roster of 50 volunteers who jumped in at that time when it was most needed and we just started there i mean it, it just kept growing from there so then later we moved to our own uh, industrial kitchen on industrial avenue and the kitchen is still there and all the meals were made from scratch over there we had about 10 paid staff members on our uh, role, but I worked with 70 to about 100 volunteers on my roster. Um, on a you know daily basis, we used to have anywhere between 7 to 10 volunteers come and help us in the kitchen, helping us prep the food, fill mm. the food, deliver it everything. So it, it was a big operation and it was it was great working there. There was so much that I learned, you know, over these three years. I, I can't forget that beautiful experience that I had. Well, and you know, it's it's really cool because I'm sure that I've heard about that when I was listening to CBC. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the, the Coconut Lagoon, that burnt down, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. Oh. And such a wonderful and strong person, Joe is. I mean, even after that, he still had, he was still helping us. He said, yes, I will rebuild my restaurant, but this is what I need to do now. Yes, I remember hearing about that. And I had just gone, I think in February, we had gone, a group of us, to Coconut Lagoon mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I had had the vegetable biryani. biryani. Mm -hmm. I, I was madly in love with it. And when I heard about the the fire at Coconut Lagoon, I was so yeah. saddened because I also one of our one of the guys that works at Osiso also worked there, and and I thought, oh no, because I was worried about him and his family and and all of that. But then when I heard that Chef Joe was doing all of this for all of these people, I, mm -hmm. I remember feeling like, oh my God, this guy is a real a real mensch, you know, like a really good human yeah. being. Yes. Wow. Yes. yes. Yeah. See, so, I, I yeah. knew you before I knew you then. <laughs> yeah. So talk about pivoting, right? People pivot in all different ways. And sometimes it's by choice. Sometimes it's by destiny. Nice. And well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things that I've written down. Well, I've written down a lot, but I liked what you said about your journey of experiences started. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love that you said food has no language. And then I added, food has no religion. That's correct. There's so many things that food doesn't have, which makes it so wonderful as a connective yeah. force into yes. in the world. Yes, yes. Hmm. You know, there's there's a there's a saying, uh, or in in our culture, before we sit down for every meal, we chant a prayer saying, "This meal that I'm having is not just 
you know, something that I need to do as a daily chore, but it is something that I'm using to nourish my soul and body. And I'm going to enjoy every morsel of it and make sure that it is like an offering that is given to my body to enrich itself. So that is the basis of where my value in terms of what food means to me. Yeah, that's very special. And I really like that. It's very mindful about food and what it means that's to you great. and your and your body. But there's more. There's more pivots. <laughs> there's more pivots, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so after um, I moved away from Food for Thought, uh, when me and my husband, Abby, we have our own nonprofit that we run, which is called Nutrition Blocks. And we um, design and develop um, food security related programs for different agencies that deal with food security. Mm across Ottawa. So at this point we we had we have seven or eight programs running and it's growing. Our programs are based on grants funding. Mm-hmm. And um, while I was working with Food for Thought, I was also I'm also a director with Nutrition Blocks. That's that's our our child. So <laughs> that's our second child. So we put a lot of uh, thought, a lot of effort and a lot of uh, work into growing that baby into a a toddler now, (laughs) if I can say it that way. Uh, One of our biggest projects that we did was a a summer nutrition program over the summer. Last summer and this summer, uh, it was even more enhanced when we served about 8,000 meals in the six weeks of summer to different summer camps across the city, which are usually free for children it's provided by the city of Ottawa. So they are free summer camps for kids who cannot afford to go to summer camps that are paid, but also housed in motels and hotels where they do not really have mm. the, the chance to um, attend these summer camps. So that's the program that we did. That was That's our flagship program. But now we are working with the city of Ottawa, with the Ottawa Food Bank and several other partners to create after-school meal programs and especially geared towards children. I love this marriage that you have between children and food. You know, one of my colleagues said to me, listen to your journey, she said, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. the thread, the threads. And I think it's, it's really cool. Like I'm, I'm looking at this from like a, a vantage yes. point, you know, and it, it's really neat. Yeah. You know, there's, there's two very strong connections for me in no matter what I have done. One is people and one is food. Mm. cultures, people and food. That is something that has held me together through all my challenges. And just knowing so many people, getting introduced to different cultures, understanding people is, I think, that's that's my strongest, strongest point or my strongest asset right now. So mm. I, I try to, uh, to leverage that. And that you can see now when I'm working as a recruitment specialist at the role skills. So I think that's the connection I have now. Yeah, I love it. I think it's it's very cool, which begs the question of all of these things that you've accomplished so far in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you most proud of? What I'm most proud of is what I have accomplished in these last six six years. But what I'm more proud of is 
that I can set an example for my next generation where, you know, as a newcomer, as an immigrant, I am showcasing that to my child. I'm showing him things are possible if you put your head and soul into it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everything is possible. So never give up. Never say I cannot do something. Mm-hmm. At the same time, be rooted. Mm. That is very important to me being rooted to where you come from in terms of your traditions, your cultures, embrace everything that you can learn, embrace everything that comes your way, what is new, what you what can enrich you, but never forget what you are. I think if that's something that I am sending a message to my child, and I'm very proud of that. I can understand that. I'm smiling. You know that. No. So- do you have a motivational quote or words that, that you live by? There's two, actually. Okay. <laughs> the first one is, you know, a mystic uh, poet from the 13th century, Rumi. He Rumi, says, I, girl, this is why I love you. I As soon <laughs> as you said the, the mystic, and then, it's, and then I'm like, I bet's Rumi. Then you're like, poet, yes, I yes. bet that's Rumi. Like 13th century, Rumi. Okay, go. Yes. What is it? What is it? What you seek is seeking you. Girl, that's my thing. That's my yes. thing. That's that's what I put I, I send out to the to the ladies in the ENW program. What you That's seek. great. I mean, if it, if you just see my journey and see my experiences, this is what has happened with me. You don't I mean, this is interpreted in so many different ways, but I have always, you know, started my journey to seek something and it comes to me. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's just like that. Like, you know, if you have you're really passionate about something, no matter which form, which way it comes to you and just keep embracing that and it will keep coming to book to you. So I, I just love that sentence. I, I love that what it says i do too and i i got i got a shiver i got a shiver when you when you said that that's and and when you talked about your journey because you're absolutely right like it's very powerful i think that quote and also your journey to get to where you are now yeah and that's why i said like you know you don't give up because you're trying to seek something and you never know when it's the right time it's coming to you Mm-mm-mm. right yeah and and the second thing I really very strongly believe in is be the change you wish to see in the world. That's uh, that's Gandhi. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And I really very strongly believe in all my journeys. There have been there have been instances where I had to make a choice between what was ethical, what was right, which may not be ethical or may not be right. But there was when these choices are presented, and I want to see a change somewhere. When you know, when I came here, we are creating these programs for nutrition blogs. We are contemplating whether we should do this or that. You know, should we create a program for children? Should we? You know, there's nothing that someone's doing in this way. So every time I get reminded, be the change you want, wish to see. If you do not take that first step, whether the other person takes or not. If you don't take that first step, it's never going to happen. So I really very strongly believe in this one sentence. And I just have that in my mind all the time. Be the change you want to see in the world by Gandhi. Yeah. You are the change yourself. Wow. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. This is not enough time. 
to have these conversations because I'm completely intrigued by the whole ethical doing what's right because there's so much going on in the world right now that again right oh my goodness Anu thank you so much for for coming on to the playground and for sharing your journey and for sharing those incredible accomplishments that you've done created been part of Um, and you're still part of and you're still doing thank you so much tanya it means a lot to share these stories like i said be the change if i don't come out and share these stories and help the other newcomers and immigrants this journey has no meaning right so this journey need gets meaning because of wonderful people like you tanya who helped me to bring these stories out well I, it's my honor. That's that's why I'm here. So yeah, I thank you so much. You're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your journey of experiences with us, Anu. Anu's story from India to the U.S., back to India, and finally to Ottawa, Canada, is a tale of people, cultures, and food. We learned what it was like to leave her support system and move to a new country with no idea of what is happening around you. Could you imagine leaving everything behind and not knowing how to manage your new life and your new home? But, as Anu shared, the key is to take one challenge at a time and to always keep moving ahead. When she and her husband realized that Living in the U.S. was no longer working for them at the time. They made the decision to go back to India as it was the right move for their young family. She consistently demonstrates the importance of self-awareness, and when they moved back to India, they felt it it was not the right place for them and made the decision to move to Canada. Like many immigrants, they chose Canada to provide a better opportunity for their family. After she arrived in Ottawa six years ago, she went about to find her place, and began adjusting to life as a newcomer. She was finding her place, integrating, and adjusting. With no connections, nor resources, she found herself at a local community resource center. She discovered a network of people focused on providing dignified solutions to food-insecure people in the community. Once again, she learned that food connects people, and food has no borders. Even while working at her survival job, she was a dedicated volunteer who was committed to joining others in giving back and helping make a difference in the community. Her passion to help others fueled the creation of Nutrition Blocks, a social enterprise whose mission it is to design, develop, and deliver food programs that directly address food insecurity needs in our communities by increasing access to fresh, nutritious, and culturally appropriate meals to all Ottawans. Anu is most proud of being able to set an example for her son and the next generation of newcomers. Her advice, never give up, and at the same time, be rooted. She also mentioned in an email to me after our, after our episode was recorded, she said, I forgot to mention something that I so wanted to say. Remember the question about winter advice? I wanted to say it was difficult being in the cold and snow for over an hour, walking from my place of work to my son's school, and then walking back home with him for an entire winter season when he did not get a bus seat. My strategy was to focus on small, easily visible checkpoints on the road. 
just until the signal. It will take about 100 steps and then count or put on favorite songs with earplugs and say two songs until I reach that turn. I still do that when I am tired, demotivated, and it seems goals are out of reach. It makes them easier to achieve and brings them into reach. We share a love of the Rumi quote, that which you are seeking is seeking you. And she embodies another favorite quote from Gandhi. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And if Anu's volunteerism has whet your appetite for volunteering, some important organizations are included in the show notes. Anu really is the change we all wish to see in the world, and I could not be happier that her journey has brought her and her family to Ottawa. Thanks so much, Anu, for hanging out with us on the playground today, and I'm really looking forward to welcoming another fabulous mystery guest on the next episode. Just a reminder to follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001 and to check out at Rocky Road Rescue for more information about the delicious pie and pumpkin and other wonderfully adoptable souls. Until next time, be good, be kind, and always be the change you wish to see in the world. See you on the playground again next week when we will jump into the future together. 